And if you would, as you are seated, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've uh, been studying through this over this last year, since September, and um, we're nearing the end um, of it. So we've, a couple weeks ago, we spent about four weeks, we will spend four weeks in 1 Corinthians 15, looking at the, the fact of the resurrection. Last week we looked at the importance of the resurrection. Uh, today we're going to look at the resurrection body, and next week we'll look at the, the victory of the resurrection. Uh, but as somebody told me earlier today, they said, you know, as we work through this, is that this is our preparation for death. In a lot of ways it is. We, well, that's where we're all headed towards. And there is a preparation which we go through it as we look through these times uh, together, but not of, of, of morbidity, um, but of hope as we look towards that. So again, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to uh, grab one inside of the foyer and to use that week to week or just to keep that. Um, you may have a phone that you're using, but um, 1 Corinthians 15, we'll be looking at verses 35 through 49. And as you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? 1 Corinthians 15, 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars different, differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual... The first man was of the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And is as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is God's word. May I add his blessing to the reading of it. You may be seated. And would you please pray with me. Father, we all come uh, to this passage and to your word in various different situations. And Father, we do pray that wherever we are, that your one true and inerrant inspired word, which covers all things, would be able to speak individually to each one of us as we have need. And Father, to our congregation, Father, as we endeavor to follow you. And so Father, lead and guide this time in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, what will we be like when we get to heaven? And that's a question, maybe it's a question that, that you've asked. You know, we know that heaven is a perfect place. We know about the place that we'll be, but, but what about us? How will we be different there? It's a question that we're interested in, and for good reason. You know, we know the limits of our bodies. We know 
how they are finite. We know that they are growing old and weak. Many of us know the difficulties of debilitating sickness, of chronic pain, of terminal disease, and of ingrained addictions. We can't seem to get our bodies to do what we want them to. And all of us know uh, the toil that the years have upon our bodies, making them weaker. As the Apostle Paul expresses in Romans 8.23, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirits, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. We know of that internal groaning, uh, which is life in this world. And if it's not us who experience it for ourselves, maybe we have youth or health or whatever it is, there's undoubtedly somebody that you know. Somebody that you know is going through some bodily difficulty and we want hope for them. So we ask these questions. Beyond the bodily ailments that we may feel, the physical things, we also experience the constant pressure of sin. Sometimes it seems that our bodies even push us on to greater sin. We wonder, what will it be like to be free of all of these weaknesses? So the Bible is clear that heaven is a place where there is no sin, there is no death, there is no evil, that there is no decay. And so if our bodies are going to be part of that, we need to be different, but how? And what will they be like? Now one thing we need to establish early is that our heavenly bodies are going to be physical bodies. I mean, that's the Doctrine that the Christian, that, that, that the Bible teaches. It teaches us about the resurrection. Most people, especially in the West, uh, tend to think of heaven as a place that our souls are going to, you know, leave our bodies, go up and to be with God forever, kind of like floating spirits in the sky, playing harps, but having no physical body. And just to be clear at the beginning, you know, that's not the biblical concept of what heaven is like or what we're like in heaven. Now, it is true that when we die, that the, the immaterial part of us, our soul, we talk about, those do go immediately into God's presence, but they wait there. It is heaven, it is a bliss, but it's temporary. And they're waiting for that time of the reunion of that soul together with the body in that final resurrection. That time we call it the intermediate state. It's paradise, it's presence of God, it's good, but it's temporary and it's incomplete. Our hope is in resurrection. That that body that is buried into the ground will one day be raised up in glory and that is going to be reunited with the soul. When the Bible talks about the new heavens, it also talks about the new earth. All of God's people will have bodies. And in that final state, every believer will experience that reunion of their body and their soul. That's how God created us. He created us as a body-soul um, composites and he intended that we live that way forever. Now, the ancient Greek system, they didn't, that didn't, um, that, the ancient Greek system didn't really work well uh, with that idea. They saw heaven as, as such a perfect place, and the human body is so bad that there was no way that a human body could ever enter into heaven. To them, only the soul could be truly pure and clean, and never the body. And so that they thought that Freedom was to be absent from the body. And then that leads into the letter to the Corinthians. 
Because that belief system, that Greek belief system, uh, would, would influence that city of Corinth, most of the people there. And it, it, was, and it was part of um, the belief of some people within the church of Corinth. You know, some of that surrounding culture, that negative influence of the beliefs of the members of the church. We can see the objection if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 12. We see uh, the objection raised where it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Some were believing there is no resurrection of the dead because of those Greek reasons. And you can see some of the objection come up then again in verse 35. When somebody asks this question, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? We might have a similar question. We may ask, how can the dead come alive? How can that possibly happen? It does not uh, fit with our materialistic, secular uh, view of reality, the one that is, is in our culture. You know, how can God bring together those atoms? You know, what about the person who's been dead a long time? Or maybe that person who was burned at the stake or those who have been cremated? Well, under the modern belief of materialism, at best, all we are is energy. And when we die, that energy is somehow released back uh, into the universe. Kind of released back to be reunited with this vast, impersonal um, universe in which we live. And there's the cultural belief system that's there. But here... You know, when we talk about this is where we know that belief in God and the scriptures makes a huge difference. And our trust in God's ability to do what we may not be able to imagine goes way beyond the possibilities as communicated in the world's philosophies. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter, 1 Corinthians, to address the resurrection along with a number of different issues. He wanted to show them that it's entirely possible for God to raise the dead. But in order to do that, he has to bring in a new system of understanding. He has to bring ideas from the doctrine of creation. He has to bring in the Hebraic way of thinking. They need to get away from that Greek way of thinking and to see what the Jews already knew. Because the Jews, they knew that the body wasn't bad just because it was material. Genesis 1 says, when God created the human body, he saw that it was good. And so while there is a need to deal with sin that we are not sinful because we are material. We are not sinful because we have physical desires. That's what the Greeks thought. But in a biblical way of thinking, the material world is good. And while while it has fallen into sin and it needs to be remade, we know that it is part of God's good creation. And sin comes when, you know, Many times, God-given good desires are turned into sinful demands um, upon God to do it our own way with no regard to what God has commanded. So all of our problems with our bodies come not because we have bodies, but because of the sin that has corrupted them. And that God's solution for this is found in Jesus. God's plan to deal with weaknesses, his plan to deal with our decay, His plan to deal with sin is by providing a new body for us. Our bodily weaknesses, those are answered by our hope in a glorified body. And that's what we're looking at as we look and continue in this section on the resurrection. We want to look at that resurrected body. What is that resurrected body going to look like? Well, the first thing that we see is the resurrected body is designed for heaven. 
See this in verses 36 through 40. It's designed for heaven. Now the Corinthians didn't, you know, some of them didn't know how a human body could possibly go to heaven. And instead of just learning or thinking about it, they just doubted that it was even possible. You can see Paul's answer in verse 36 uh, that this really isn't a genuine question to ask how the bodies of the dead are raised. But it's one that's done to create doubt. So he calls it foolish. But he does bite enough on the question to present something which is important for us. Important for us to understand about the resurrection. He makes the point that God will prepare a perfect body for heaven. And and we call that the glorified body. And so the first connection that he makes is the one that's connected with seeds. Now, you know, we could talk about gardening, right? Do you like to garden? Who here likes to garden? If you like to garden, raise your hand. All right, so I see a lot of hands up. Some of you told me your story already today of finishing and planting your plants and your garden, all those things. Now, those that don't like to garden who are here, oh, I see less hands, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's work. Every time I bring one of these flowers home, I think we bring one of these home. Somebody's got to dig that hole, right? Um, you know, somebody's got to do that work. So maybe that's you. Um, but one of the amazing parts of gardening is to see how a tiny little seed can, one, day grow to be something that has nothing in resemblance of what you put in the ground, right? That seed, that is pure potential. It's not impressive. It doesn't look like anything. Um, It doesn't look anything like what it will become. But as it grows, everything changes. And that's what he makes the point of in verse 36. He says this, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and each kind of seed its own body. So the Apostle Paul is thinking like a poet here. He's not so much thinking of like a scientist. I mean, it is truly amazing to think uh, that we can plant something in the ground and get something totally different to come out of that seed. And he sees that seed as miraculous. You know, he sees the growth of it as a miraculous thing. He doesn't have all the science that we do to this day, but shouldn't we also maybe see it as miraculous? Shouldn't we see it as an amazing work that God does for uh, one new thing to come out of an old thing and a new thing is so different? It's the same thing with the human body. That's what he's saying here. It becomes amazingly changed. We sow a seed, we get a plant. The thing that goes in the ground is only a tiny little kernel. But that's the parallel with the body. When God sows a human body, he grows a glorified body. It's something that may not be able to be explained by science because it cannot be explained with with the, the understanding that we have right now. But we know that God knows how to do it. We know that God has a mechanism to do it. Verse 38 says, God gives a body as he has chosen. God is the designer who's already done this principle inside of seeds, causes them to grow up to be plants. In a providential way, he's the one that makes it happen, and he makes it happen every time. And he's the same one who said that a glorified body can come out of a natural body. He's the one who makes it happen. You know, that changes the way that we view death. Death and the burial that happens uh, with it, that is a sowing of the seed in the ground. There's an expectation that a crop is going to follow. Death and and the Christian funeral are times of expectation and hope, even as they are of grief, because there's a belief that something 
will rise out of this. This really is the way that Jesus viewed his own death. He knew that in order to bring resurrected life to others, he must die and be buried. In his resurrection, he brings life to other people. We see this in John 12, 24, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So the first illustration he uses is the illustration of seeds. The second illustration that he uses um, is the design of every creature on earth. We see it in verse 39. He says, not all fish is, for not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Now, if you just look at the animals that are inside of our world, uh, you are distraught by God has designed each one for its particular environment to live and to thrive. You know, one of the cool things about being a dad, especially with little, little ones uh, like we have, is that chance to read those picture books and, you know, to say over and over, you know, cow and horse and sheep and to do all the animal noises with it. Um, you know, but it's always when it gets to the giraffes. I mean, it's always the giraffes that I think are some of the most interesting of animals. I mean, this long, long neck um, would just to reach up and to, to eat the... Um, Indeed, the leaves at the top of the trees rather than the bottom to hit all those things that are up there. There's, there's nothing else really like it in the whole earth. And it just makes you marvel and say, how unique and how creative is God's design? You know, and actually, God has even fitted that body for, uh, for its specific environment. Because they still need to drink, right? And they drink on the ground. And, um, you know, some scientists point this out that, that for an a animal to drink on the ground, to bend so low as a giraffe has to bend to drink, and then to raise its head up to its full height, you know, is such a, like a pressure change. I mean, like, have you ever stood up too suddenly and you're a little dizzy? Well, imagine that on a greater scale. And so God has actually changed that cardiovascular system so, in other words, that they don't blow up their brains when they rise up too, too, too fast. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's really God's amazing design. And, you know, looking at the animal kingdom, you know, that leads us to a sense of wonder. We might think the same things about the angels in heaven. They're created to live in their environments. You know, our bodies are created to live in their environments. And the resurrected body is created to live in that environment. Psalm 139 says that God has designed your body as well, especially fitted for his purposes in this world. Psalm 139, 13 says, you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul wells it, uh, knows it very well. So in the same way God provides the right kind of body for animals in the earth, in the resurrection, he'll provide a body that is suited to live with him forever. Just like your body now in some ways, still five senses, you'll still have the same identity that you do now. You'll we'll know each other Inside of heaven, being able to recognize one another somehow, but, but things will be so different as they are fitted, um, suited to live in heaven. Maybe it's in one way, like a scuba suit. I mean, you want to go to the depths of the ocean, you're going to put on a scuba suit and put on that tank, and you're fitted to go to the depths of the ocean. You know, if you want to go in the outer space, you put on a space suit to protect you from the vacuum that's out there, to give you oxygen, and to protect you from the rays of the sun. In the same way, that resurrected body will be perfectly suited to live in the presence of God. Now, we won't have anything to wear like a suit. It'll be actually what we are like. 
And instead of being protected from the pressures of the ocean or the, or the dangers of space, you know, this resurrected body is the perfect suit to dwell in the presence of the holiness of God. God is the creator of everybody. He's able to create bodies for this earth. Can he not create bodies for us in heaven? And of course, he is able. Now, the third illustration he gives in verses 41 and 42 is the illustration from the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars. He says, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differ from star. For star differs from star in glory. You know, isn't there glory when we look up in the skies? You know, to feel the, the, the life-given radiant heat of the sun. You know, something so bright we cannot even look at. Or, or, or the nighttime wonder of the moon. Or the number of stars that are out there beyond our ability to even count. And as we look at them, we just say, wow. Again, it leads us to worship. What God is saying here is that he's fitted those bodies for their place in their glory, so he shall be fitting a glorious body for his people. When people are raised, they're not, it's not reanimating corpses like zombies or anything like that. It's not recycling our body. No, he's building something more glorious, uh, like the sun, like the moon, like the stars, something fitted for living in God's glory. And so as, as we marvel at God's design of, of seeds, of animals, the sun and the moon, uh, we're going to be even more amazed at the body that God gives. You know, we don't scoff at the body. We don't look down at the body as just a capsule for the soul. You know, remember that God gave us our bodies for his purposes, to do his work. And we have hope that the body he gives you in the future will be fitted for um, what we have to do there. You know, I believe that God has work for us to do inside of heaven, but it's not work with the frustration that we have now the fruitlessness that we can experience here in this world. We're able to drink in heaven and eat in heaven, but we won't be worried about all those unhealthy foods and even of gluttony. We'll be able to worship, but we won't be uh, cursed with the effects of sin anymore. You know, our bodies being unstained with sin. That's a huge part of the preparation for the glory of heaven. So we see this body is designed for heaven. The second thing we want to look at is the glory of the resurrected body. The resurrected body is glorious. He gives us three things to consider about the glory of the resurrected body. The first thing we see in verse 42 is glorious because it's imperishable. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. It dies. But what was raised is imperishable. I mean, in this life, we grow weak. We're vulnerable to all kinds of diseases. We're subject to all kinds of dangers. We cannot keep ourselves alive. Even if we manage to avoid uh, some of the, the bigger threats during our life, over our time, over the time of our lives, we grow older and frailer and weaker, and the parts of our body just seem to wear out. Scientists, they want to understand the mechanisms of, of aging just to see if they can expand life longer. But we are reminded that what the Bible says, that it is destined for man to die once and then to face judgment. Or Psalm 90, verse 10 says, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. And that's the curse of sin. That's the, the curse that God gave Adam for eating the fruit. It's a curse to which we are all subject. But the glorified body is not like that. It's the promise of living forever with God. Not only are we in the most perfect place, but we get to stay there. 
forever. We don't have to leave, not even for reasons of our own weaknesses. You know, I don't know if you've ever been on that, that perfect vacation, the place that you just dreamed of going and the place which you were so sad to leave. And maybe even, even a, maybe if you love your job, you know, they thought, oh, you know, now I got to go back to work and I just love this. Well, heaven is that perfect place. You don't leave to go back to a job on Monday morning. And you're immortal in it. The second thing we see is the power and the glory of the resurrection body. We see this in verse 43. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. If there's anything that shows the weakness of our human body, it's death. And even the, the way that we treat dead bodies, the way we treat uh, dead bodies, um, you know, what do we do? We, we set it aside. We bury it in the ground. There's not much else that we can do with it there. Even the greatest honor that we can give to a dead body is generally less than the worst honor that we would give to a living body. I remember going to China once and seeing the lines to go see Chairman Mao. I believe he was encased in a gold, or not gold, in a glass case there for people to see. Um, you know, but still, you know, if he was living, you wouldn't put him in the gas, glass container. He was a pretty bad guy. He put lots of enemies probably in glass containers, uh, being the evil that he had. Um, but, you know, we don't do that to bodies. You know, so part of our weakness and dishonor of the human body is the way that we've sinned against the holy God. Each one of us have used our bodies to do things that are shameful and regretful. We have said things to others which are harsh, untrue, and cruel. We have done things which have hurt other people. We have kept our bodies from the Lord's Day worship. We've walked in rebellion against our God. Indeed, our bodies are sown in dishonor and weakness. But the body that's raised is nothing like that. It's raised in glory. It's raised in power. Who knows what exactly it will be like? We don't know exactly, but we have some ideas. Jesus' Jesus' body was in glory. He ascended into heaven. You know, our bodies will be somehow in that same likeness. Most of all, though, like Jesus' body, our resurrected bodies will no longer be affected with the stain of sin no longer held captive by the power of iniquity. What God promises in justification is what he, what God promises in justification to forgive us our sins and make us righteous. What God does in sanctification and changing us and making us more and more godly and holy, he actually finishes and accomplishes in glorification. Romans 8.30 says, those whom God predestined, he also called, those uh, who he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. It's the finishing of God's promise. No, not only do I declare you righteous, not only am I making you righteous, but I will finish this good work inside of you, and you will be righteous and holy in this glorious and powerful new body. Have you ever had to go somewhere real nice? You needed to dress up for it? Like if you didn't have the right dress code, maybe they wouldn't let you in? Resurrection is like putting on the perfect clothing of Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, with a body like his. That's the wonder of seeing Jesus face to face. When we believe in him and we see him, his perfections become clothing for us. That is our glory. As Galatians uh, 3.27 says, For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In fact, we need to be clothed in Christ. 
Matthew twenty two eleven tells a parable of Jesus and reminding that we need to be clothed in his righteousness. It says, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. We need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ in order to even enter into the glory of God's presence of heaven. Well, the third quality of the resurrected body is it is spiritual. We see that in verse 44. It says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Remember, spiritual does not uh, mean immaterial. You know, you, if you know spiritual people, they are physical people. You know, to be a spiritual person is one who lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, living in communion and fellowship with God, that, that regular relationship and the growth of godliness in that. But we will be raised spiritual in the way that we will be able to have perfect, true fellowship with God, unhindered by our sinful nature. You know, those, that's the glory of the body which God has given to us. All right, so we've seen uh, the resurrected body is designed for heaven. We've seen how it is glorious. And our third point we want to look at today is a resurrected body is redeemed from sin. We know that Jesus Christ came to bring resurrection life to his people. In order to do that, he had to deal with the work of our first father, Adam. He's compared with Adam. If you look at verses 45 and 47, it says, Thus it is written, this is back in Genesis, uh, it was written in Genesis. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. We talked about this a little bit last week, the idea of federal headship. You know, in the book of Genesis, God created Adam uh, from the dust to be a representative of all mankind. And so when he sinned, that that sin was given to all of his descendants. And when he was cursed, that curse went down with all of his descendants. Just as Adam was told that he would return to dust again, so we know for all of us that we also will return to dust again. Adam ate the forbidden fruit. He was cursed with death, and the curse of death has been passed down to us. And so while we get life from Adam, because all of us are his um, descendants, we also get death from him by the nature of his headship. Under Adam, because he sinned, we all shall die. He died, he sinned, we sinned. He died, we will die. The oldest to the youngest of us have been declared guilty because of his decision. But Jesus Christ came to bring life. You see what he's called here in the passage? He's called the last Adam. And you see where he came from? He came from heaven. See, Adam had a starting point of existence. God breathed life into him. But Jesus didn't. He lived as the son of God from all eternity. Yes, he took a body when he came in the world, but that wasn't his starting point. The son of God has always existed. And he came from heaven, the place where there is no time, where there is no decay, where there is no death, there is no sin or evil. And he came to bring that kind of life for us. He brought eternal life with him. Jesus is that antidote to the problems that Adam brought by his first sin. And so the big question that the Bible holds out is, are you of Adam or are you of Christ? Which one of those do you belong? And the one to whom you belong determines your destiny. We'll see that in verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man from heaven, so are those who are of heaven. 
If you're not in Christ, if you've not believed in him, received him as your Lord and Savior, then you are of the dust. You have no spiritual life. You are destined to die. And there's no life in Adam. Life is only found in Jesus. But in fact, it's, it's worse than annihilation. Annihilation is this idea that when we die, we just cease to exist. We just stop existing. That's one thing. But the Bible presents a worse picture for those who continue on in their sinful condition. Jesus says in John 5 that all shall be raised, but those who are in Adam and without Christ will be raised to a bodily judgment for sin. You know, you and I know pain. One of my kids, well, my baby, my two-year-old, he slammed his finger in the door yesterday, and it was bleeding, and, you know, he was crying because it hurts, and we know how that hurts, right? You know, and so, you know, but it's just one little finger, right? You know, we know pain. And this makes Jesus' words so so challenging, you know, horrific, scary. Because the Bible talks about hell in terms of unending bodily hate, pain. And it is, um, you know, with, with what I know about pain, you know, I want to avoid that no matter what. Look at what he says in John 5, 28 and 29. Jesus says, do, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of life. Of judgment. And sometimes it's this resurrection of judgment, this concern of hell, the consequence of sin that helps people to see their need of forgiveness, of grace in Jesus Christ. This is the end point of what Jesus talked about, and it's something that we need to, to talk about. There's a destination of hell, there's a need of forgiveness of sins, there's a need of giving warning, even as we give the hope the gospel of forgiveness and life. We need to move past fear. Fear might get someone started though, but it doesn't keep us in because the fear of hell might be a starting point, but we know that perfect love casts out fear. We ought to be living and dwelling in joy. We need a faith and a desire to be with God because that's what we're created for. If you're afraid of hell, let that be overcome with an even greater desire to be in heaven with God. You know, as I wrap this up, I was thinking of Joni Erickson Tata. And she captures, you know, I kept thinking of him as, as, of her as I was working on this sermon. You know, she talks at times about the glorified body. You know, if people have thought about this deeply, it would be somebody like her. You know, at the age of 17, Joni was injured in a diving accident and she was paralyzed from the neck down. And for the last 55 years, she's lived um, in a wheelchair unable to use her arms and her legs. And if, if you read her story, you'll know the difficulty of adjusting to the thought of being a quadriplegic for the rest of her life. She's so young, 17 years old when it started. You know, but she learned to surrender her life to Christ and endeavored to make Christ known through her writing, um, through forming an organization called Joni and Friends, which, which um, helps the disabled community to know Christ and, and with, with needs like wheelchairs all around the world. You know, if you've read her books, you've heard her speak, you've seen her international ministry, you know, you, you may have been inspired, as, as so many millions have, in pursuing Christ, even in very difficult situations with disability. But her weakness became her strength. So with having thought so deeply about her life, her disability, what does she say about the glorified body? She wrote a book called Heaven. I want to read a part of it because it shows something important. One more thing to add in here in the end. 
She says, can you now see why I enjoy dreaming about heaven? Somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body is the seed of what I will become. The paralysis, paralysis makes me makes what I am to become all the more grand when you contrast atrophied, useless legs with splendorous, resurrected legs. I'm convinced that if there are mirrors in heaven, and why not, the image I see will be unmistakably Joni, although a much better, brighter Joni, so much so that it's not worth comparing. There's no way I can comprehend it all because I'm just an acorn when it comes to understanding heaven. But I'll tell you this, Whatever my little acorn shape becomes, in all its power and honor, I'm ready for it. I'm ready to have this lowly body transformed. Please don't assume that all I ever do is dream about springing out of this chair, stretching forth glorified fingers and toes and pole vaulting over the pearly gates. However much I relish the idea of leaving this wheelchair behind, that is still, for me, not the best part of heaven. I can put up with legs and arms that don't obey, for me, hands that refuse to pick up things, no matter how much my mind commands them to move, are a fact of life. I can cope with this. However, there is something I can't cope with. In fact, the older I get and the closer to heaven I draw, the less I'm able to adjust to it. I'm sick and tired of combating my flesh. That is, the law of sin at work within me. It just won't do as I command. That's why the best part of heaven will be a completely purified heart. Later on in another interview, she said, I'm looking forward to the new heart, a heart free from manipulating others with precisely timed phrases, a heart free of fudging the truth, a heart free from hogging the spotlight, believing my own presses, a heart free of not believing the best of others, a heart free of caving into fear or anxiety about the future. I can't wait to have a heart free of sin. Amen. Is that your word as well? You know, the good news of the resurrection is that Jesus is is that Adam's sin does not have the last say. The final promise of our glorified body is one that does not long for sin. Verse 46 says, it is not the spiritual that's first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. Are you tired of your broken weakness? Are you tired of the sin that clings to you so closely? Well, look to Christ. That should encourage us. A glorified body free of the handicap, free of the addictions, free of the sickness, free of the embarrassing markings, free of the emotional roller coaster. There's no longer any shame, but only glory. But most of all, freedom from sin. Would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the life, the life that you've given us in this body. And thank you that in Jesus Christ, you've given us eternal life. God, we've not used this life as we know we should have. We've sinned, Father, and we feel as we grow older, as we know people around us, we feel and we see the consequences of sin and the death that came from it. God, thank you that you have made a way of forgiveness. You've made a way of life. Father, you've made a way uh, for the condemnation to be removed. And we praise you for the hope of the resurrection where weakness and sin is removed. We thank you for Jesus, that last Adam who gives us this life. And Father, we ask you'd help us to keep our eyes on him and make that good news known throughout the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.